Pandemics. The word is still fresh in everyone's mind. But I want to remind you guys that pandemics is, well, a reoccurring event. The most recent pandemic, COVID 19, was not the first and most definitely will probably not be the last. But that means that by looking at history, we can observe some common threads among pandemics. So, what can we learn by taking an in depth look at our pandemic age, the history in our present? This week, we're going to be talking with Professor David Ludden at NYU, who gave a lecture on this fascinating topic. So, whenever you don't hear my voice, you can rest assured that it is most definitely his. So, pandemics have been around forever. They basically outline the history of humanity, of interconnectedness and disease. Pandemics are caused by, well, interconnectedness. As people move around, they spread germs and disease. So, as the world becomes more interconnected, more people move around, and therefore there's more movement of disease. And that most definitely increases the likelihood of pandemics. And so, this makes sense. I mean, let's just take a look at history. The pandemic of ancient Rome arrived to Rome because Romans were getting goods from Asia. So that meant that they were interacting with merchants from Asia. And so the Black Plague, the terrifying Black Pubos that killed over one third of the population of Europe, was brought to Europe because Europeans were buying and interacting with large amounts of merchants from all over the world. Essentially, Europeans wanted Asian products and that brought them disease. Death and destruction. <laughs> But on another note, another way that pandemic spread is because of the military. Well, the flu pandemic of 1918 is the biggest one. I mean, because the troops actually carried it. World War I was, of course, a war of European imperial powers, right? And, but they were, they were drafting and bringing together people from all over their imperial systems as, to fight in the war. So you had Africans and Chinese and, and Indians, you know, fighting all over the place for European imperial powers. And then when the war was over, they went back to where they came from and they carried the flu with them. So, if you think about it, you had troops during World War I from all over the world in tightly knit quarters who would pass quickly this new influenza between one another and then fly back home and infect their loved ones all over the world. So, while World War I claimed an estimated 16 million lives, The 19 flu epidemic killed an estimated 50 million people, and it was spread so quickly, partially because of World War I. Basically, pandemics travel with people, and so the, as the world becomes more globalized, right, as people are traveling more over, over the whole world, the pandemics become more global. And so, as pandemics spread, they're kind of always thought about as an outside force coming in. They're outsiders bringing in the disease. And of course, it is these outsiders that are then blamed. And this is something that we saw clearly with COVID. I mean, there was an astounding amount of hate towards the Chinese. I mean, people, probably because of Trump, started to even refer to the pandemic as the Chinese virus. Except it wasn't really the Chinese who brought the virus, it was Americans traveling back to America. 
And so, of course, nobody wants a pandemic, right? Like, it isn't a voluntary force of human will to cause death and disease. But it is something that's part of the natural world. Yet for some reason, we always tend to try to blame one another. And so, a little bit more extreme was during the Middle Ages, when in Europe, a large group of people, desperate to point their fingers at someone, accused many women of being witches, and also Jews of somehow causing the Black Death. One tragic day in Strasbourg, over 8,000 Jews were burned alive, and in Basel, Switzerland, 600 were burned at the stake, and 140 children forcibly baptized. So pandemics are always seen as an outside force coming in. Therefore, this causes the othering of people, xenophobia, and just the blaming of a different group of people. And that will probably never go away. What's really interesting is to think about how pandemics are dealt with. I mean, let's just think about public health. The public of public health is a, you know, is a concept with boundaries around it, right? So the New York City, New York City has a public, which is bounded by New York City. And then there's New York State that has a public. And then there's the United States, which has its, you know, the National Institutes of Health and all these kind of public institutions. But they're national, so that the concept of public health and the way in which people deal with diseases is all within the boundaries of their own territory. So that even though these uh, diseases are traveling all over the world and, and they're basically on the move with people moving all over the place, when people experience the actual disease, they experience it not so much as a traveling pandemic, but as a bounded, territorially located, experienced epidemic, you would call. So in other words, and, and they experience it as, as having arrived in their territory. So while experiencing the arrival, the mission used to be, and still kind of is, to stop these outside forces from bringing in disease. Just think about the word quarantine. The practice of quarantine as we know it began in the 14th century in an effort to protect coastal cities from plague epidemics. Ships arriving in Venice from infected ports were required to sit and anchor for a period of 40 days before landing. This practice was called quarantine, which was derived from the Italian words quarenta giorni, which meant for 40 days. So, I don't know if you guys remember, but when lockdown happened, they were quickly trying to stop the movement of people, once they realized that something was wrong. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely remember that as the world shut down during COVID, I had about 48 hours to get my ass home from Argentina because all the airports were gonna close. Don't worry, I also quarantined. And while it's peculiar, we know that pandemics are global. I mean, we take a look at COVID-19 and recognize that it has spread to all corners of this world. However, there is no global plan for dealing with COVID-19, no global mechanism for distributing vaccines. And this sends from the question of social solidarity. So that when, when groups of people are trying to deal with a problem that they experience collectively, there are various ways in which they actually affect solidarity among themselves, right? So that, so that people will say, this is our pandemic, this is our problem, this is our public, and so on and so forth. But that excludes the people who are outside, you see. So social solidarity always has these boundaries around it. And so here you are, are in a world today where you've got a global pandemic, but you've only got nationalized systems for dealing with it. And so conceptualizing the pandemic as a pandemic is something that's really 
I'm beginning to think it's impossible inside, inside, you know, national territories. That's basically my thinking. So pandemics tend to be dealt with as an epidemic, which is the rampant spread of an infectious disease within an area. While a pandemic is the rampant spread of disease across different areas and eventually the whole world. But people tend to conceptualize dealing with a pandemic as an epidemic. This is also probably because countries can only control what happens within their individual borders and not within the entire world. And another social aspect related to pandemics is the idea of dirtiness, which is often associated with vulnerability that is, well, tied to pandemics. The, the, the biggest example of that is cholera. Um, um, cholera is one of the hugest uh, of the infectious diseases and um, it is the result it is it it derives from polluted water water that's been polluted by fecal matter and so and it creates massive amounts of diarrhea and so on that actually makes more pollution and therefore creates more and more possibilities for um, uh, for infection and and it's a very disgusting <laughs> it's a very disgusting disease and when the uh, when it was originally being shall we say analyzed the first thing that people noticed was that it was just closely associated with people who were uh, living in dirty environments and so it was the people living in dirty environments that were thought to be the cause of the disease when in reality it was the polluted water and I think that this is some. There's some version of this that's true with other, um, with other uh, infectious diseases also, and and would be for the primary, primarily for the reason that poor people living in crowded, um, crowded, poverty-stricken environments are most vulnerable to these diseases. So, the association between dirtiness and poverty and, you know, congested slum environments and disease is actually an empirical one that that makes sense. Um, but rather than saying that these people are being victimized by, by by their poverty, it's often been you know thought of as being that these people are actually you know creating more you know more disease in their own environment. But of course, it's just the other way around. And while the way wealthy communities versus poor communities deal with pandemics is vastly different, I mean, wealth allows for treatment. It allows for further study of pandemics and dealing and finding effective solutions, while poverty doesn't really afford that same luxury. There are various ways in which disability and poverty can make you more vulnerable to disease. And because of that, there can be an association between dirtiness and disease. Aside from, in this case, germ and bacteria and mold and all that lovely stuff. So there's a lot of pandemic diseases that are zoonotic, meaning that animals can sometimes be and carry harmful germs that can spread to people and cause illness. And some modern examples would be COVID, the swine flu, Ebola. An older example in history would have been the plague, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, all frightening names. Essentially, rats traveled on ships and they brought fleas with them and plague with them. So the fleas would bite the rats, and then the humans, and so then the humans, 
would get infected with the disease. Not very pretty. So whenever there's disruptions in the natural habitats for animals, that just creates for more opportunities of disease. In other words, humans are, animals are leaving their, their, their separate little place because the humans are coming in there. Again, it's the humans that are actually causing this by disrupting the animals' habitats, or they're eating the animals, or they're, you know, or they're variously capturing the animals. But, but mostly, I think it's a matter of them driving the animals out of natural habitats in order for humans to take over that land. So it's either urbanization or farming or hunting, or the various ways in which the humans are going in there and messing around with, <laughs> yeah, messing around with, uh, with the animal habitats creates more, um, opportunities for these zoonotic transmissions. Now, the climate change part of it, climate change is disrupting the natural habitats of the animals also. And therefore, anything that disrupts the sort of the separation of humans from the animals creates the po- more possibilities for the zoonotic transmission. That's the, basically the principle as far as I understand it. So yeah, in this episode, we've covered some common threads that we can see throughout history regarding pandemics. How they spread, how we conceptualize them, how they cause hate, how they can potentially becoming more frequent and worse as the world gets more interconnected with both animals and humans. I guess it's some food for thought. But with that ends the episode. Once again, I would like to thank my professor, David Ludden at NYU, for taking the time and letting me interview him about this very interesting topic. Heads up, chin up, things might be getting worse, but they also might be getting better. And this will be as good as time as any to remind everyone that if you would like to support me, my channel, my work, and you are financially able to, and you would like to join the crew, I will leave a link to the description below of my Patreon. Or you can find me at Patreon slash Traveling Guardable. There you will find episode script, a podcast series about the Renaissance, open, yes, to only my patrons. See what I did there? But as always, the best way to support the show and support me is simply by listening. Peace out, love, and goodbye.